Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Before we kick off the show, if you're a fan of History Hack, please do what you can to support the show. We completely get that not everyone is able or willing to dig into their pockets. Times are hard. But by dropping a like, subscribing on Twitter and YouTube, and importantly, leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts, you can help the programme grow and reach more people. If you're interested in becoming a supporter, go to patreon.com forward slash history hack, where you'll find perks from secret Facebook groups to early release material. If you just want to leave us a one-off tip, go to co-fee.com forward slash history hack. The links are in the description. And whatever form your kind support takes, know that we are massively grateful. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to History Hack. It's your girl Charlie flying solo today, but flying squarely into her comfort zone because I'm joined today by Sarah Beth Watkins. She's commissioning editor at Pen and Sword Books, which is a history hack favourite. I don't mind telling you that. And the author of several Tudor and Stuart historical biographies. Her latest book is Charles II's Favourite Mistress. No, it's not Barbara Villiers. It's pretty witty Nell Gwynne. And I just couldn't resist asking her to come on and chat to me about this fabulous book. Hello, Sarah Bear. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, we are so, so happy to have you on and to talk about this fabulous book. Let's start at the beginning. Okay. It's a very good place to start. There's a certain amount of mystery surrounding Nell Gwynne's family and her early years, but what exactly do we know? Well, not a lot, really, to be honest. We sort of know that she was raised in London, um, that she was there with her mother and her sister Rose. Um, But there's a really huge debate about where she was born uh, to the point of of sort of cities fighting for the honour of her birthplace. (laughs) Um, you've got Hereford, you've got Oxford, you've got London. London, obviously, I mean, she she was raised in London. That's where her life was. Um, Hereford comes about, I think people, some people believe that uh, her father had Welsh roots, you know, Gwynne, the surname. Mm-hmm. Um, Hereford's on the Welsh border. Her grandfather was supposed to have lived there. There are some lovely stories, but there's no actual proof of it you know there's just no proof of where she was born she never said 
you know. Um, and then Oxford comes about because her sister said that her father was in service to Charles I. And Oxford, of course, you know, soldiers garrison. Um, again, there isn't the proof there, but I think that could be more likely that her mother perhaps was, you know, sort of after a soldier. And, <laughs> um, a lot of women from London did go out to Oxford and there just seems to be a little bit more evidence towards perhaps she was born in Oxford, but then her mother took her back to, to London where her own family is supposed to have been from, really. Um, so, yeah, only her sister ever said that the father, you know, was uh, was a soldier. So... Um, you know, Nell really sort of kept the mystery. I think she liked doing that. You know, I think that was part of her allure. She, you know, gave a little and <laughs> that was all. Do you think it's hard to um, fill in the, do you think it's hard to fill in the gaps for someone like Nell Gwynn? Because she wasn't, she wasn't of, of high birth. She was a, a commoner. I mean, as, as common as they get really, which is one of, one of the things we love about her. Does, is there anything that exists of her on official record? No, there isn't. You know, there's no birth record. There's no marriage record of her mother and anyone. Um, so that you're just sort of looking for something that just doesn't exist. You can't prove anything. I found sort of lots of little bits and pieces, like looking for a mum. There were Helen Smiths in London at the time. Um, but the, I mean, you know, there was probably hundreds of Helen Smiths. Like her mum went by Helen or Ellen or Eleanor. So, you, you know, you're really <laughs> looking at that point. Um, and the same with her birth date, really. Like it seems that it was the 2nd of February, but what year mm. it was, again, is a mystery and we have a, a birth chart that is supposed to have been um, put together by Ashmole that said her birth date um, was in 1650 but but the the document itself is not right it doesn't have a birthplace because then we'd know <laughs> and a birth chart has to have a birthplace so it can't be calculated properly so there's sort of there's issues around that document and Personally, I think she was older than that. And I think, you know, she let people think, oh, 1650, you know. <laughs> but I think she had a few years on that. And there's particularly, like, uh, she had one of her early loves was a man called Robert Duncan. And and it sort of works out that she would have been living with him when she was 12 or 13, Ooh. which isn't improbable. Yeah. But I think is a yeah. bit too young. So I would have thought that she was a bit older, actually, and that she was probably born in around 1642, I think. Mm, would she be the first actress to lie about her age? Would she be the last <laughs> actress to lie about her age? <laughs> <laughs> so Nell becomes the best known of Charles II's mistresses, but she was far from his only one. Uh, she wasn't oh, even. Oh, no, there's just a few. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody has actually counted how many mistresses. I don't think you could possibly know how many. We know of the main ones, but there's just no way, is there? You know, there was probably hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> he did well. He did very well for himself. Um, <laughs> she wasn't even the only actress 
that shared his bed. So I just want to take a little bit of a detour. Could you tell us about Mole Davis? I think more people should know about Mole. Yeah, I've actually, I've been doing some more research on her because she's another one that there just isn't very much out there at all. You know, there's stuff around who was her father and that, you know, was he a noble? Was he a commoner? You know, they, I think maybe these actresses all, you know, they had these stories to make them more appealing. Um, but she was one, she was in the rival theatre company to Nell. So um, Ma was in the Duke's company, Nell was in the King's. Um, and I think there, there was real rivalry sort of on and off stage with them. Um, uh, I think at one point they both had the sort of the trip up the back stairs to Charles's apartments. Um, but Nell was pushing for money at the time, which wasn't happening. <laughs> and, and Mole became more favoured then. Um, but she's she's a bit of an enigma, Mole, because she... Uh, she was loved by the king, but not as much as the other mistresses. But she seemed to have been around for years and sort of popping back in and out. And she did have a, a daughter by him as well. But, uh, but yeah, Nell sort of tried to get her own back on nearly everyone. that <laughs> She liked playing her, her tricks. So Mole got an especially nice one when it was her turn to go and see the king. Um, and Nell got some uh, sweetmeats and had them dosed with a strong laxative so that uh, Mo would have a really interesting evening <laughs> with the king. <laughs> I think this is one of the things that we that we love about Nell is she's got a real naughty side. I wonder with Mole if she she sort of became more like she wanted to be a lady, a great lady, whereas he'd fallen for her for being an actress. And I think that she sort of gave herself airs and graces, which maybe turned him off a little bit because yeah. he got plenty of ladies. He wanted fun. He wanted actresses. <laughs> <laughs> so Nell's a comedy queen, um, both on and off stage, clearly. Do you think you could make us laugh today with some of Nell's witticisms? Well, I suppose maybe I, I even uh, there was a tweet late, lately. Somebody tweeted me and said, uh, I hope you've included this quote in your book. <laughs> but the most famous one really is she was in her coach and it was mistaken for Louise's, the French mistress, the later mistress of Charles II. And when the coach was stopped, she shouted out and said, pray good people, be civil. I am the Protestant whore um, <laughs> rather than being the Catholic one. So I think that one that is you know absolutely you know that was Nell um, <laughs> but I, one of my favorite stories though it's again it's to do with Louise and and we'll come on to her but um Louise was a very uh, I don't know uh, I thought strange I can't quite work her out and maybe Nell was like that as well um the there was one instance where Louise was sort of crying and weeping and wailing because she'd lost this relation of hers that you know and everyone's sort of saying you know is he really and they'll just thought this was great you know let's take <laughs> this off altogether so the next day she turns up in her morning clothes all weeping and wailing and saying that she was devastated at the death of the charm of tartary and everyone's sort of <laughs> 
who's the cham of Tartary? And she's saying, well, you know, if uh, that other relation was Louise's, well, this one's definitely mine, completely made up person, you know. But apparently this was a bit of a thing that Louise liked to do, that, you know, if there was someone... She could make a fuss about something. That's what she'd do. <laughs> and there was another time where I think the King of Sweden died and Louise again, the mourning clothes, the weeping and wailing. Oh, my gosh. You know? And now said, well, look, come on, let's just divide the world up. You can have all the kings of the north and I'll have those of the south. <laughs> so, um, I think Nell just couldn't just couldn't put up with falseness. She just didn't like, you know, when there was someone... It's just, just not real. I think Nell liked genuine people, you know, and just couldn't bear Louise and all her, you know, for all Nell being an actress, that Louise was just putting on way too much. You know? <laughs> um, and there's another little story, actually, that I like. Um, they were both held up by highwaymen at different times, but their reactions sort of really tell you, like Louise and Nell. And Louise kind of, you know, she's stopped and held up and she says, well, you know, don't you know who I am? And the highwayman sort of says, yeah, well, you're the greatest whore in the kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> but when Nell is held up, she just gives the highwayman the money and... um when the high woman says to her, do you know, uh, can I have something just for myself? You know, he had to take his spoils back to his people. She gave him a kiss. <laughs> I think that's the kind of girl she was. You, you know, she just, she was genuine. She was real. And she liked other people to be too. Fantastic. Yeah, we, we do need, let's talk more about Louise. We've, we've gone into her. She is Fantastic. Every great comedian <laughs> needs their straight man. It doesn't work otherwise. In this case, we've got a straight woman that Nell's playing off. So who is Louise de Caruel and how does she fit into Charles's romantic schedule? It must have been a complicated schedule he's got going. I think it's sort of strange in a way. She first came over with uh, Charles's sister was Henriette Anne and she married the Duke of Orléans in France and uh, she was involved um, in working on the alliance between England and France and I won't get into the politics of it but it was a secret treaty of Dover. So when she came over to work on this uh, with her brother, Minette, um, was a nickname Louise came over in her entourage of ladies so uh, she, sort of Charles saw her then and thought she you know oh she looks a bit of all right <laughs> but she went back with his sister then uh, when Minette died and there was you know there were sort of issues around she might have been poisoned um and it could have broken the French alliance uh but when that was over um Buckingham the Duke of Buckingham sort of thought oh well, she'd be good to bring over um and Louise came to England and I think the king bonded with her really over over his sister I think you know Louise could tell him stories of Minette and her life in France and because uh, reading things about her I can't see <laughs> why in any other way he would have been attracted to her she really doesn't seem to have been that nice a person so I 
you know, I never met her. I don't know. <laughs> but Nell definitely took a dislike to her straight away. Um, and I think, like, Nell was loved by the people. Louise really wasn't. She was French. She was Catholic. So she was everything they didn't like. Um, but I think Nell just, she rubbed Nell up the wrong way altogether. <laughs> I think, you know, she put on airs and graces. She wanted everything. She wanted the finest things. Um, and Charles gave them to her. And I think that, you know, Nell, you know, had her own stuff as well. But I don't think she was impressed with Louise at all. <laughs> From what I've what I've read about Louise, you know, she seems to be, uh, or she's she's alleged to be one of those women who, when they don't get their own way, cries and pouts like a child. And uh, the king famously hated to see women cry. It was just it was just something you could you could get your way with the king with a few yeah. pretty tears, well placed. Uh, and I think <laughs> Nell, Nell was completely the opposite type of woman. She was not the type to to cry to get her way. And I don't think she liked that Louise was that kind of gal. Yeah, definitely not. I, I think she just, I think she felt she was really false as well. Like, like she called her the weeping willow. So obviously <laughs> this was one of Louise's tricks that, you know, she played all the time. I think also the way Louise was around the queen, Catherine of Braganza, I, I don't think Nell liked that either. You know, she could sort of see Louise pushing to be more than she was, mm. where Nell was quite realistic about, her position but Louise always wanted more yeah I mean well Louise had position at court which Nell could never have there was no question no matter how much the king loved Nell he he might have been more in love with her than he'd ever been with any other woman in the world she still could not have apartments and position at court because she had no birth who she was yeah yeah whereas Nell was um sorry Louise was in the Queen's household, as Barbara had been before, and that was not something that that was possible for her. She, it was a very class oriented system there. Definitely, yeah, yeah. So you've touched on another of my favourites. You may have guessed that I like all the I like all the naughty people at the court of, <laughs> of Charles II. I like all the people that everybody says they don't like because I think they're, they're more interesting. So you mentioned the Duke of Buckingham who who went over to, to pick up Nell. Um, Louise, I'm getting confused between the two of them. You'd think I'd know them by now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he went to pick up Louise from France and forgot to bring her home. He left her stranded. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> And that's just through being rubbish. She had to be rescued. <laughs> she had to be rescued, unfortunately, by Buckingham's rival, um, the Earl of Arlington. So there's a slight political thing that goes on there. But Buckingham is a great friend to Nell. Um, and she's also got yeah. some fabulous friends around the theatre and within the king's own circle, they're known as the Merry Gang. Can you tell us a bit about who was in Nell's corner? Who are the Merry Gang of players we've got here? I think all the naughty ones, all the mischievous <laughs> ones. It really seems like Nell didn't really have enemies. I don't know whether she was just a real people person and knew how 
to deal with them, whether they were nobles or commoners. She didn't really have anyone that was, you know, out to get her or anything. Um, and the Duke of Buckingham was one of the ones that, you know, tried to push her on her way to, to being a mistress. But he was up to all sorts. God, they all were the lovely. I'm going to write a book about all of them. And <laughs> <laughs> that book. <laughs> <laughs> but I, th- I think she told him straight as well. So with the Duke of Buckingham, he always wanted to get rid of the Queen. He thought she was useless. She couldn't have children, get rid of her, kidnap her and take her off. Um, and Nell would say to him, you know, don't be daft. Like, <laughs> And I think that's great that Nell was able to do that and say to him, that, that's a stupid idea. Like, you know, you get rid of the Queen. Who are we going to get instead? Louise or someone <laughs> like that. We don't, you know, we don't want anyone like that. Um, but she's she she sort of even from the early days, like uh, um, uh, Charles Sedley was another one of the Mary gang, and he was rumored to have slept with her. But at the same time, she was with Charles Hart. Um, no, sorry, not Charles Hart. Lord Barkhurst mm-hmm. uh, when she went to Epsom for the summer with him, and they were they were just <laughs> they were just known for their drunkenness and misbehaving. And Sedley was one of the ones, there's a real famous story that uh, they were all drinking at the Cock Inn and Sedley stripped off naked. And I'm going to quote this bit because I didn't (laughs) write this. But he washed his prick in a glass of wine and then drank it off and toasted the king's health. And they got away with everything. Everything they did like this, they got away with. It's quite amazing, actually. (laughs) There was no off with your head. It was like, go on, let's do it all again. (laughs) If you could make um, the king laugh, you could get away with, well, you could get away literally with murder. You could. (laughs) Things that that happened. Um, But yeah, he seemed to find them hilarious. Sedley and Rochester, Rochester, one of these ones. I love Rochester. I don't know why, but he was the naughty boy, wasn't he? (laughs) (laughs) A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com people today and i feel really sad for him you know he sort of had a miserable death but it was all you know was all his own fault basically but yeah. but Nell was really um 
I think she really loved Rochester. There was a rumour that they were lovers as well, but th there's no proof ever of, of that. Um, but, I mean, he did things like, you know, drunken rampages. And there's a story about when he smashed the, the king's sundial, his famous wonderful sundial out in the garden. And he thought, oh, yeah, well, let's go and give that smashed up. Now, the king, that was the one time that the king was actually like, you know, you've gone a bit too far now. But within a couple of days, he was back getting drunk and running naked around the court. So it just <laughs> really didn't matter. But I think, you know, at other times, these people were also useful to her. Like Rochester tried to help her um, get her Irish revenues when she didn't have enough money and she wanted... In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts help with getting a pension he tried to do that for her and in the same respect she helped his mistress when um she was having a baby and there wasn't enough uh, stuff for the child um so i think you know apart from all the naughtiness that there, there was this genuine friendship there as well it's funny when you when you look at records and you look at um things written at the time it seems that the idea of a platonic friendship between male and females is, is just not a thing that people understood so if, if she was friends with him well of course they must have been lovers it's just always sort of yeah they didn't they didn't have a, a function for a guy and a gal being friends but a lot of these people really helped her on her way in the theatre uh Charles I understand wasn't her Charles the first uh, no, he was the third. <laughs> yeah, she had she had her other Charles's um, before the Charles. So, and Charles Hart was one of them. Do you know, he was a really famous actor at the time and often played with her. Um, and I think he became the lover of Barbara, didn't he? The Duchess of Cleveland. He I think so. So <laughs> maybe there was a bit of sharing going on there. I don't know. <laughs> I've always imagined it being, look, if you're allowed to embarrass me by taking home someone from the theatre into your bed, fine, I'm going to do the same. And I'm going to go with this guy who's also called Charles, who looks a lot like <laughs> Charles, you know, tall, often wears the, the big periwig and, and this kind of things, and was by all accounts pretty hot. So good, good for Cleveland, good for Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of double standards a lot of double standards here. The king, oh, definitely. The king can have many lovers. And it's one thing they say about Nell, isn't it? That she didn't take any other lovers but the king. Do you do you believe yeah, that? That's you... true. I sort of do because I don't, I don't, there's no other stories. Do you know, there's sort of things like, oh, she slept with Rochester. Or, but there's no actual any story around that. You know, it's just a mention, whereas there's sort of proof of the other mistresses 
with other men there isn't with Nell and you know the rumor mill was you know astounding so if she'd have done something or gone off with someone or was away or someone would have it would be somewhere and I can't see that she ever did I think she was happy enough she, she had a house she had everything she wanted she had her children it was enough for her do you know I don't think she could be bothered to put up with any other men. <laughs> <laughs> and let's face it, if she had been up to anything, Peeps would have known about it because he was a bit of a fan. <laughs> oh, Peeps knew everything, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> so nosy. So how did Nell get on with the other mistresses other than other than Louise? We've heard a little bit about we've heard a bit about her with Mole Davis. Did she have any kind of relationship with the Queen? Did she know Barbara? Did she know these people? I think I, I actually found a story that she used to be friends with Barbara. But I, when I looked into it, I couldn't find really anything else. It seems that sort of, you know, Barbara's day was waning as Nell came up to being a mistress. And, and she would go on to, to move to France then. So I don't think she was much in the picture at the same time that the two of those were, were together. And then then Louise came over. And the only really other one was Hortense Mancini. She would have ah. uh, come along. Um, but she didn't last very long either because she was sleeping with other men. <laughs> Go on, tell us who else Hortense Mancini was sleeping with. Oh, I can't remember his name now, but he was supposed to be old and ugly and terrible, wasn't he? <laughs> oh, I was I was thinking I would go in the Hollyoaks route. Oh, this. oh the, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hollyoaks. Do you want to tell him or shall I? Go for it. <laughs> oh, yeah, you go ahead. You can. <laughs> All right. Okay, listeners, are you sitting down? Are you clutching your pearls? <laughs> so Hortense Mancini, who is a lover of the king, has an affair with... Anne, who is Charles's daughter by Barbara Villiers. Shock horror. <laughs> it is straight up Hollyoaks, though, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And she was supposed to have loved her so much. Anne, you know, was absolutely in awe of this woman. She definitely had something. And she was sort of dragged back to her husband's estate in the countryside, weeping and wailing and clutching her picture and refusing to get out of bed because she just wanted her. <laughs> Awful. Bless her heart. I think they were caught dancing <laughs> in their nightgowns one night. Oh, yeah, in the park. Yeah. <laughs> It sounds like they had a right laugh. Leave them to it. They're all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what, yeah, what Nell um, doesn't seem to have, have really been bothered by Hortense. I don't, you know, she didn't see her as a rival or, you know, there wasn't any sort of animosity between them. But what Nell did do, I love her, she... <laughs> She dressed up in mourning clothes <laughs> again and she said that she was mourning for the death of all Louise's hopes and dreams. <laughs> so I think she just now just used any opportunity <laughs> to send Louise up <laughs> that she found. Like. She really did. Oh, my God. She's that friend of yours who you just you can't take yourself seriously around because they're going to rip you to shreds. 
Yeah. <laughs> and you can't take them anywhere. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, so his his other mistresses, you know, we talk about Louise and, and Hortense and Barbary, all these women became duchesses. You know, they were all lodged in the palace. Their sons, yeah, well, not not Hortense, obviously, but Louise and Barbara's sons were were made dukes. They got involved in politics. Did Nell get any of these things? And what what happened? She she wasn't a duchess. What happened to her? No, she. I think one thing that she wanted, and and it did really wind her up, was the fact that her children weren't ennobled for ages. Do you know, Louise, her son was um, Barbara. Did they had a little squabble over that themselves? Like, you know, who's going to, who's going to get there first? Who's going to get to Danby first and, and get the papers off of him? Um, but uh, she really wanted, you know, she wanted for her kids more than than herself. Um, and uh, how long was it? She sort of had to wait years after. I think it was nearly 10 years after the others for her, her oldest son, Charles, to be made Duke of St Albans. And by then, her, her second son, James, had died. He died very young in Paris. So... Um, she did get what she wanted, but it took an awful long time, you know, and I think sometimes there's a couple of stories that she did want a title for herself. Um, she do, doesn't seem to have particularly pushed it very much. And she, it's like she wanted to be the Countess of Plymouth or, or Charles had mentioned that at some point. And then there was a thing about her becoming the Countess of Greenwich, but I don't think she really particularly pushed it. I think she knew in her heart that that was never going to happen, but she wanted it for her children, you know, and she wanted them to be recognised. Um, and although it took the king a while, he, he did get around to it. <laughs> <laughs> there was a famous story about um, about her getting the names for her sons, wasn't there? And the king came round and she she called them an offensive name in front of him. Oh yeah, and uh, the, yeah, there's a couple around that saying uh, uh, that her, she called her son a bastard because she had no other title to call him by. So then the king sort of shouted out, you know, the, the you know the Earl of Burford or <laughs> something <laughs> to, to to give him some kind of title. But yeah, yeah, you can imagine Nell doing something like that. You know, <laughs> it seems in character, but. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem like she particularly asked for anything for herself. You know, she wasn't political. She didn't. I, I think there were meetings at her house and she might have just, you know, been hostess, but she didn't get involved in that side of things. And maybe that's one of the reasons why Charles was with her so long and loved us so much, because she just she just didn't. She was there for the day to day. She didn't get involved in in the politics or anything else. You know? It feels like a bit of a waste of time to ask if Charles loved her because he was clearly polyamorous in some <laughs> way. Um, but do you think she loved him? I do, actually. I think, I don't know, it's hard to tell, isn't it? But she seems to have been, you know, just genuinely wanting to be with him. I, and she didn't put on airs and graces and she didn't, she wasn't graspy. She didn't look for money all the time. She was happy with what she had. And 
you know, she was always with him when he was at Newmarket or Epsom for the races and when went to Windsor, is it, you know, going away for the weekend. It seems like she was that side of things for him, you know, the weekend away, getting away from the court when the king wanted to be something other than a king. She was there with him. So I, I don't think she really cared for him. Um and also, she died, you know, really soon after him. Now, I know, you know, I'm not going to say she died of a broken heart because <laughs> that wouldn't be correct. But after he died, she just, you know, people said that she aged immeasurably, that she looked awful. You know, she was physically just not herself anymore. And she did die only a couple of years after him and when she was still only young. So I, I think just the life went out of her. I don't think. You know, what was left, a lot of her friends died. A lot of the Mary gang were dying um, through their excesses. And, and when that life was over, it's almost like Nell just sort of gave up. That's sad. Oh, it feels, feels like we're, sort of, we're definitely not ending it on this note because this is far too sad to, um, to leave her on. <laughs> she becomes this. <laughs> far too miserable. I know it's it's just too much. We can't we can't possibly do it. She becomes a a kind of romantic heroine in the story, you know, the, the repeated telling of her life. Um, it's almost like this Cinderella story, the rags to riches from the gutter to the king's embrace. But do you think this is oversimplifying her and her story? Yeah, I mean. Everybody loves a good rag to riches Cinderella story, but but it's a story. You know, it's great to read fiction, and but in real life, there's so much more to the person than that. You know, just saying that Nell lived the rags to riches story just dumbs her down to the most basic level. You know, she's so much more than that. You know, she was an actress, she was a mother, she she was all these other things, and her life had so much more detail into it than than just that and and again same sort of the rag to riches is like saying yeah she was the king's mistress and, and I know she was but but she was more than that you know she wasn't she can't be defined just by you know being the king's mistress but I suppose that's the way that history has has played out with many women you know they're they're defined by the person they were with not their own selves. And it's hard because more more so with Nell than with any of the, the women that we discuss, we have so little in her own words. She has no historical agency whatsoever. She gets to say nothing. Yeah. All we get of her is, is what, what was written about her. The little um, stories. And, yeah, and I, I think... I was thinking about this earlier, actually, that she called herself a whore quite often, mm -hmm. Do you know, like, like the quip about she was in the coach and she said, I am the Protestant whore. But I wonder sometimes whether she was saying that to get in there first before other people said it of her, Do you know, that she was claiming it as a way of saying, yeah, this is me. I think that that's wonderful. It's such a it's such a powerful thing is to to reclaim what people say about you and will use as an insult. Um, and maybe that's one of the reasons that that she is 
so loved today. But I've always, I wonder if it's, if it's a bit problematic in the 21st century to have this kind of tart with a heart almost vibe about her. I, I sometimes find the way that people talk about her makes me cringe because I just think, well, no, there must have been more. There must have been more to her. Oh, definitely. Read the book and you find out. <laughs> it, do you know what? It really is. It's a fantastic book because I think so many times I see I see books on Nell. And because you're, you're dealing with 30 years, she was, she was what, 33 maybe when she died, 33, 40? Yeah, yeah. She wasn't that old. She hadn't lived very long to fill no. a book. <laughs> um but but you know and and finding things about her is so difficult here's an idea when we're trying to get to know Nell the person do you think there's some value in looking to Dryden and the parts that were written for her Yeah, possibly. I mean, he knew they were very close um, and he knew her well and he did specifically write some roles just for her. Um, as, ooh, I'd have to get studying theatre and plays to be able <laughs> to, to answer that one. I think, yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, well, he definitely brought out the comic side in her. Mm. As for the loves and things, yeah, I don't know. See, then again, would you be reading too much into it? It's a difficult one. She's an enigma, isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> and I think she would love that. <laughs> she just love that. The people are still talking about her all these years afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she my She still goodness. retains her mystery. <laughs> And all the Nelgwyn houses and Nelgwyn taverns and everywhere. And the marmalade. <laughs> <laughs> I think she would love that. There's a pot of marmalade named after you. <laughs> and she is still the most beloved of all his mistresses. When they make when they make little Charles II's to hang on your Christmas tree, they don't make his wife to hang next to him they, no. don't make, they don't make any of his other mistresses it's always a little Nell Gwyn to hang next to him <laughs> yeah so she won <laughs> she did <laughs> oh my goodness listen we could we could just giggle about Nell all day she was hilarious she was wonderful she was misunderstood guys you need to pick up a copy of charles ii's favorite mistress pretty witty nelgwyn by our guest sarah beth watkins we'll put a link so that you can buy it from us but thank you sarah beth for coming to talk to us today thank you for having me summer's just around the corner so give your body the care it deserves with osea's best-selling andaria algae body oil Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. 
It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.